The Sour Hour is meant for the serious brewer. The Sour Hour may contain some seriously funkified content. The Sour Hour is not for the faint of heart. So exercise some damn discretion, would you please? Sheesh. And now, here's the Sour Hour with Jay Goodwin. Alright, it's that time again, We're back on the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. I'm your host, Jay. How the level, Scott? Looking good? I think we're looking good, my friend. Always looking good in the studio. Speaking of studios... <laughs> Beef wrote her brow intensely. I was talking about you, Bevo. I couldn't get my headphones on. Okay, she didn't hear. No, but thank you? <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, correct. Kay. Yeah, definitely thank you. Uh... <laughs> Uh, did I say I'm Jake in the summer? Yes, yeah. you did. Yep. Good. That's Ro- the only roaring thing you said start. so far, yeah. You know, we're about to be in the roaring 20s again. That Scott. is so true. Yeah. Man. Hopefully no depression at the end. Uh, it's nine years out. Yeah, we're good. Yeah, we're we'll good. We'll be long be gone. Let's wildly then. overspend. <laughs> uh, we're in the Brewing Network studios in downtown Concord, here with Scott. Hey, Scott. Hello. And Bevo, who you heard from earlier. Hey, Bevo. Hello. Hi, Bevo. Uh, joining us, I was gonna, about to say this evening, I'm just all thrown off, but this afternoon... Kevin Osborne from Celador. Hey, Kev. Thanks for coming. Oh, I forgot to give him the, uh, yeah, the spiel. Hey, I knew uh, yeah, I could see talk that really, really, really close to me. Bring, bring the mic to you. And like, like eat is, the mic cover. Is, like, hello. Is it on? Yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> I know. It just doesn't <laughs> seem like it. Killing it. Kevin was uh, nice enough to join us in studio today and bring his delicious beers, which we're really excited about. Um, Celador. Yeah. Before we get to the fun stuff, let's do the uh, rigmarole here. Feedback. Scott at thebrewingnetwork.com, Jay at thebrewingnetwork.com. You never call. <laughs> uh, no, seriously, uh, we love ans- answering your guys' questions and uh, interacting with the the listeners. So, you know, I'm talking to you, person who just subscribes and doesn't do anything. You know, we're not we don't ask a lot from you. So really don't. Send us an email. Give us a give us a review and a rating on the Apple Podcast thing or wherever you get this. Listen live on the Brewing Network app. Just search BN Mobile in the search bar of wherever you're doing that. And did I say watching on the com slash TV? You did now. Okay, cool. We're good. Um, yeah. How's it going, Scott? It's going good, man. Yeah, we were just, uh, you know, right before we hit the air here, there's a bunch of things to say. As this is the last Sour Hour broadcast of 2019, the last... That's correct. The last shows of the year, and in fact, the last shows of the decade. Like you mentioned, you know, we're heading into the 2020s here, Mm -hmm. and uh, that wraps up a... A decade of broadcasting. Of course, it's 15 plus years for the Brewing Network in general. Uh, and we've been on this whole decade. Let's see, where did 2010 start in the, we're still in the spare bedroom of the rat pad. Yeah. You know, we'd, we'd moved on from the garage, but we'd not moved on from that house yet. Come a long way, baby. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and then, uh, we're still, f- still four years away from, from meeting you guys. Mm-hmm. You were just a dirty thought in You're just uh, a twinkle in craft beer brewing that's industries. Right. Eye. Yes, you were. You were working at the brewery in 2010. Is that right? That is correct. In, in 2009, what year did you start that job? 2008, that November 2008. There you go. I say that was the first job Obama created. That's for <laughs> yeah, that's right. for you. First and only. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So you were you were basically wearing your brewer's boots and and in the mm-hmm. right in right in the middle of your tenure at the brewery. Yeah. 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 It's always good to look back. I think end of the year, end of the decade. Um, and yeah, I think uh, optimistic about the twenties. Well, do you remember having thoughts at, at that era, like right in the middle of your tenure? Were you already starting to think like, yeah, I want my own spot? I wanted to start a brewery before working in craft beer. Like that was in, that was in college for sure. How long it would take and what that path would look like, I had no, no idea. And I would say, you know, I think now people, you know, so I had about four years of experience before starting. And, uh, you know, now I think that's plenty. I mean, people are starting breweries with, zero or just one or two and you know that's that's kind of the norm at the time i felt like man this is going like too fast and mm, there's like always four wasn't enough yeah i mean there's always more to learn certainly I, I could have learned a lot more uh but you know just gotta jump off the cliff sometime you know do you remember having specific thoughts as like man i wish i would have taken more time to learn like what do you mean <laughs> 
construction, welding, plumbing. Oh, okay, yeah, <laughs> trades. Trade school. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. If you're – oh, yeah, I wish I could just talk to like – I wish I could go to like a contractor's conference and just say – like set up a booth there and then just try to recruit all of them to be like entry-level brewers. It's like, do you hate your job? Want to like get free beer? Come. Come to the brewing industry. You'll be hired at – Every single brewery, they will love you. you know? Yeah. If you get someone who knows how to like do your electrical work oh, and so you teach valuable. them how to brew, so valuable. It's it's unbelievable. It's so true. Yeah. Kevin, where were you at in 2010? 2010, um, not brewing, not home brewing yet. Started home brewing in like 2012 or 2013. So still just a you know public person drinking West Coast <laughs> beers. You were just you were a drinker. Yeah, just drinking. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So when did the home brewing start? Yeah, it started in like 2013. Did like a batch at home, made like a not very good IPA with a friend or a roommate at the time <laughs> and like fell instantly, instantly in love with it. And then like kind of quickly got into sour beers after that and started exclusively doing that. Awesome. Yeah, let's, well, I want to get more into Kevin's background, of course, but in the, before the reminiscing is done, you know, as we were saying before we went to air, we've been doing this show. Yeah. Uh, more than half of the decade. We started in 2014, mm-hmm. right around the time we opened the, uh, so oh, weird. I know it is weird. And as I, I can't remember if I said it on the show or not, maybe like around, I don't know, when, when we we're doing the hundredth episode or so, I've been doing this show longer than I was producing the session. Yeah. Which seems really, really weird. That is weird. Yeah. Yeah, time goes, man. But it's been a, it's been a crazy decade from the Rat Pad to the Martinez mm-hmm. Studio for a couple of years, and then then to building the Grenade Broadcasting from here. Beef <laughs> thoughts? Like, I don't know why I'm still here. <laughs> I'm here. Beef trying to figure out how old she is. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Before the sh- <laughs> before the show, she was like, I went through an entire week thinking I was the wrong age. I did. It was <laughs> good job not saying the number, Scott. But uh, careful. <laughs> well, it's fine. But I was happy to find out that I was actually younger than I thought yeah, I was. So right, you, you, that was a silver lining. You got it uh, in the right. You you guessed in the wrong direction, but it made you feel. I better. just well, yeah. I felt old, so yeah. that was why I. <laughs> cool. Well, you know, uh, you're talking about, you know, being more on this show seems weird than uh, you're that you've been on this show longer than than the session. Time flies when you're having fun. Yes. So what does that say about the session? <laughs> We'll let you guys do the logical things. That it seems much, much longer. Much longer. It's felt like an eternity. Yeah. Go check out our last show, which was great. We had uh, John Rowley in the house. Brewer, brewery of the year, freshly crowned from GABF, his his conqueror of the beer world there. That was a lot of fun. Oh, okay. So so remind me what what I have to say again. John Rowley Farmhouse. You guys to get a little quick behind the scenes on like how extraordinarily difficult recording the the, the liners is. Hey, this is John from Rowley Farmhouse Sales. Uh, you're listening to the shit. <laughs> this is hard. Oh, <laughs> it's, it's a lot harder than it sounds. I guess so. <laughs> that was good having John, man. Then that that uh, was it. Charisse, the the Charisse and the double Charisse. Charisse. Oh yeah. Holy moly, that beer really stuck with me. That beer was amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, all, all the beers he brought were incredible, but that beer in particular was just freaking mind blowing. Yeah, I don't know if I said this on the air or off, and no pressure, Kevin, but uh, <laughs> I think I, I think I told him it was one of the best beers I've had in like six months or something. I, like yep, that. I'm with you. That's Truly, awesome. just absolutely tremendous. Yeah. Uh, cool. And as speaking of tremendous beer that blows your mind unexpectedly, mm. you know, I I'd be remiss if I didn't point out that. Kevin and Celador sent uh, unannounced a package of beer. This is my first exposure to your brand, which I'm yeah. pretty sure was brand new at the time. This has got to so. be back in 2015 or maybe maybe early 2016. Uh, a case of beer of um, are they they're what three three seventy five? Yeah, three seventy five. Yeah, showed up uh, unannounced. I'd never heard of it. I'd never seen your pat your branding before, which is gorgeous and remains gorgeous. It's kind of like watercolory is that fair to say labels yeah definitely it's like a little effeminate you know like, yeah uh, yeah soft soft yeah for the most part but yeah. but beautiful and uh man uh, every one of them i think it was 12 beers uh, to a beer were just outstanding everyone it's like man and of course you know Eva what i up. What, what i did was take credit like oh look how good sour beers gotten as a result <laughs> of our show <laughs> uh but i'm excited that you're finally now here we are years later and you're on the show it's yeah great. it's awesome it definitely helps i listened like from the beginning and yeah, learned a lot of shit from it. Awesome. That's awesome. It's a good good way to round out the year and the decade. Agreed. Uh, what's what's going yeah. on with uh what's what's uh the uh 2020 uh you know what's what's the rare barrels uh, what are you guys looking forward to coming in the next year? I'm looking forward to completing this brew house installation. Ah, uh, yes. Where are you at on that? 
are uh, great and not at all in uh, financial despair. Local utility company <laughs> uh, finally approved our um, increased gas uh, meter that w- or line that we need for uh, the steam system we're going to be installing. So, they still get to make those sort of discretionary decisions? Yeah. Hmm. The governor isn't fully in charge of that yet. But, uh, <laughs> Rich he's, he's trying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so kind of that was a little bit of the holdup on ordering the rest of the equipment and all that stuff. So. Our longest lead time on equipment is about two months. So after two months from now, so late February, everything will be in house, and then it's just up to the contractors to get kind of like the connections and stuff done. So you know, maybe another two to four weeks after that, brew a water batch, and then brew our first in-house batch. What was the? Was it just a matter of waiting for their approval? Like it was just a, a time thing, or were you actually thinking they weren't going to approve it? What was that process? All of the above. Hmm. I mean. It's kind of like waiting to get an answer, to get an answer, to get an answer. You know, it's just like bureaucracy at work. And sure. it, it was, I don't know if they're, you know, so this is this is Pacific Gas and Electric. And, you know, they're maybe more nationally known than they want to be at this point now. Uh, yeah, California wildfire trouble. Yeah. So um, that's more like an electrical issue. So I'm not sure if like the departments are separated at all or that had any effect on slowing it down or whatever but um you know i'm i'm you know i said i was looking forward to completing this project it's actually at this point more just to have it behind me than like looking forward to like the first brew or anything it's like we're saying that you know the contractor all all this stuff about that you don't know when you start a brewery it's like yeah it's amazing how much a part of it like construction and like equipment installation is and it's like a huge cost of the business as well it's the dirty part of making great beer. What was the total amount of time from first applying to finally getting the go-ahead? Beginning of August to two weeks ago, two or three weeks ago. So, okay, yes, for five, four several, or five months. Several months, like that. Yeah. yeah. For just like a, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, that'll work. Go ahead now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty crazy. Yep. All right, should we, what should we do? Should we take a... Do an early segment and then get into yes. Kevin and the beers. I think unless yeah, unless you want to yeah, yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Okay, we'll take a quick break and be right back. This is the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. Hey, this is John Rowley, Rowley Farmhouse Sales. You're listening to the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. gonna always want that other one though <laughs> i love it because he said if you just like read a script a transcript of what he said it's like you're listening to shit god damn it yeah you're listening to you're shit. listening to shit. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true man maybe we should have just kept that one it's the most accurate liner yet yeah we can clip it <laughs> except my beer smells like farts or whatever that one was your farts taste great my, yeah your farts taste great <laughs> hey this is john from rally farmhouse sales uh, you're listening to the shit. There you go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the shit. Very yeah. different. I'll tell you what's not shit. Our <laughs> guest. We've got Kevin from Celador. Boom. It's a professional Nailed transition, it. Marty. You? You're witnessing the greatest. It's a lot harder than it sounds. <laughs> I was recently called the best podcaster of the decade. I don't know if you know that. But <laughs> By who? Myself. Just now. <laughs> well, Kevin, I mean, we have, we have a lot to talk about, but yeah. I think we have to address the elephant in the room which is how big was the elephant that stepped on your hand and broke it? Yes. Kevin has a, yeah, I've yes. got a, a bandage on my hand. A, so a, 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 like a, it's um, like a splint. What do you call that thing? Yeah, uh, I don't know. Yeah, sure. It, like keeps your finger keeps immobile. Keeps straight. Plus yeah. like gauze wrapped. Yeah. What happened? Uh, so I was uh, cleaning some barrels a couple weeks ago, had them up on like a forklift, and um, one of them kind of fell off the barrel and sort of crushed my hand between another barrel you know, busted my skin open. <gasps> Didn't break the bone, but I got nine stitches in my index oh, wow. finger. Wow. Uh, I was at the brewery by myself, so I took a lift to the ER um, and was actually brewing that day. So called in some help wow. and, uh, you know, got them stitched up, went back to work, oh, built man. some barrels. And that was three weeks ago. And it's um, the stitches are out now, but it's like not fully healed. Oh, boy. Still. I know how you feel. Uh, I got the splinter. It's just one yeah. quit. <laughs> <laughs> I stubbed my toe a few weeks yeah, ago. It was pretty gruesome. Uh, was it the metal banding on the barrel that cut Honestly, it? Honestly, I don't know. It happened so quick. I don't, I don't think it actually cut it. I think it like 
you know, sort of like tore open my finger or like kind of popped it open. Yeah, it's pressure. Like not Whoa. like a clean cut. Oof. It's like a real nasty. Oh, brother. Yeah, Viva, where are you going? <laughs> you Viva, see just because of this? Grossed out <laughs> later. Uh, yeah, wow. And yeah. then you, you went back and uh, you knocked out the batch? We knocked it out, yeah. We actually... um you know, cheat a little bit, like ended up fermenting in our transfer tanks for oh, yeah. a couple of days. Been there. Um, but, you know, we saved it. Did so that was not batch. barrel fermented then? Not barrel fermented, oh, but I won't, I won't oh, say which one. Good. Lies. <laughs> <laughs> a brewery built on lies. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, let, you know, I we've kind of gone in me to rest a little bit, but uh, yeah. let's, let's take a step back. You know, we talked a little bit about your background. Let's kind of follow that through you started home brewing in the like 13 yeah around 2013 and um you know fell in love with it right away and kind of instantly like had it in the back of my mind to you know eventually open something of my own and wanted to have some sort of brewing experience and got kind of like you know quick fake experience i worked at golden road actually before they sold out in the packaging line for like six months and then i worked like a kind of internship thing at stone brewing in escondido Mm. for three months so when I worked at Stone, I commuted from L.A. for like three months and yeah. worked the graveyard shifts. It was like one of the worst times of my mm-hmm. life. Yeah. Commuting in L.A. is just soul-sucking. Yeah. And then uh, like right after I left Stone, we you know started writing a business plan and like really sort of planning this thing out. Who's we? Uh, Sarah, my like wife and I. Um, your like wife or she like your wife? Wife yeah. or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're like, I don't know, married. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sarah, she and I together did that. How did you know his vows? <laughs> <laughs> um, and as we were doing that, I also won actually the brewery's homebrew competition um, and made a beer with them called Batch 1731. And that came out. We brewed that. And then like the next month, we signed a lease for the space we're in. So wow. What wow. kind like of beer was that? Four years ago. It was a, we called it like a sort of in style, like a Brett IPA, mm-hmm. uh, like a, you know, multi-Brett primary fermentation Hoppy, dry hopped thing. Cool. Which tasted good for a couple months and then tasted Fell not off a <laughs> Did uh, Just like straight band-aids. Do you remember how many entries approximately you beat out? I don't remember. It was like maybe 150 if oh, I remember Okay, correctly. wow, a lot. Yeah, no kidding. Did, did you look at that, at, you know, winning that as kind of like a sign, like, okay, now's the time? It was definitely felt like a good um, thing to happen in that time frame. I think it gave mm-hmm. me the confidence to really like go forward with what we were doing. I think I was there when... We did that the first time around, and I believe the beer that won was a Goose, and yeah, I remember that. the brewer was um, Al Buck from East Coast Yeast, actually. Mm, so yeah. Was, was that what became funny. Ruse, or did you, was it only brewed one time? I think it was just called, that. It's like it's the similar thing to that. Kim was saying, it was like a batch a number, batch number yeah. and okay. then it was called like Goose or something gotcha. like that, which was not a good thing to call it, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's before we knew better. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So that, that takes us up to... 20, the, the lease signing. Yeah, the lease signing. Yeah. So, and you guys are in North Hills, which is like what, just north of LA? Yeah, it's, uh, it's LA City still, but um, in the San Fernando Valley mm-hmm. by Van Nuys. We're actually like less than a mile from the Budweiser factory in Los Angeles. Yeah. So they're brewing your wort, I'm assuming. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was always curious how that would go into a, a sour beer. Just like the macro. Yeah. Light, light just, lager like, take macro. Some wort and yeah. Ferment it out. Might be kind of cool. Probably would be pretty good. good. Yeah. Did you look for a space in a specific area, or were you like we'll we go were looking the all right over spaces? LA, and it just kind of happened to be that one? It's like the first place that would take us because, like you know, we're doing it on like a low budget and without like great personal financials. So it was like, yeah, we'll take you, and we just took it. Describe the space. It's a small space. It's like um, twenty seven hundred square feet, I think. Wow. Sort of you know standard um, industrial zoning type space, and we. Uh, Went two years without a tasting room, and then about a year and a half ago, just opened a small tasting room that sort of s- shares a space with the brewing side. So mm-hmm. we every week we kind of kind of break it down and like put it back together. I remember being because I'm in LA um, pretty frequently. I mean, yeah. My brother's got an art gallery in Hollywood, and I remember writing you this. I think it was before your tasting room was open because yeah. I was like, "Yeah, I want to come by," and you were like, "Well, there's no buy to come to, really." Yeah, like. I think I was out of town that day or something. So it's like, and then we didn't have any employees for the first couple of years. Right, no, and no tasting room. And so you, yeah. so it was just a strictly a packaging and distribution operation or were you only selling bottles out of the space? Uh, mostly packaging and distribution plus like a club. So we did like, you know, online sales and shipping. It's a good one. What's the name of the club in case people want to join? The club is called uh, the Single Barrel Syndicate. Cool. And yeah, we open it up like, you know, every September-ish. Awesome. Cool. And the reason you didn't want to open the tasting room for the first two years, just 
mostly a financial situation. Yeah. You know, we just kind of like had enough money just to get production going. Mm-hmm. Cool. Awesome. Well, that's, that's definitely starting, you know, small on the small side. Yeah. And, but I think your, your brand has grown to, you know, it's, it, it's, it's bigger than 2,700 square feet for sure. You're really well known out yeah, there. Yeah. You wouldn't necessarily know. I think that we have a, a pretty good reputation. Um, but yeah, still for the first, you know, two and a half years, it was just the two of us. And now we've just hired our fifth employee. So we're, we're still real small and still in the same space. Yeah. It's funny because off air, you know, you were asking how many employees we had yeah, at the yeah. Rivera, and I said 20, and you're like, that's still pretty small. But yeah, you're, you know, <laughs> and I was like, oh, it seems, it's, 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 feels like a lot. But yeah, I mean, four or five, that's, that's yeah. very intimate. Yeah, right, it's for very sure. intimate. It's tight. Yeah. And is that most, so now you have taste room staff. Do you have help on the production side, or is it still mostly you? Um, we are, it's just me, and we, we're about to hire, we hired one guy, and we're about to hire a second person that'll be like, Part-time tasting room, part-time mm-hmm. brewery employee. Cool. Staff. Awesome. Well, uh, you were kind enough to bring us uh, some beers that we'll be trying throughout the show. And we have the first one open in front of us, which is, I guess, the, the thing that sticks out the most right away is the color. Mm-hmm. I don't see a lot of beers that look like this. It's sort of like Allagash White, if an alien brewed it, kind of. You <laughs> yeah, know? A little bit. Yeah, it's kind of like, like, yeah. like really, really clear. And well, not clear. A little bit haze, but like real light. This beer is called... J-I-A? Yeah, it's called Gia. Gia. So we do like, uh, we're just starting to do like two sort of core beers. And one of them is a beer we called Famille. It, I call it a small oat saison. It's like a table sour, you know. Um, and that this beer is a variant of that. So Gia means family in Japanese, maybe. So like all the variants we do are just like different languages of the word family. And this one has um, constellation white nectarines from a farm called Andy's Orchard in Morgan Hill, California. They're like just kind of south of San Francisco area. Yeah. Um, they're it's one of my favorite farms. Hometown. Yeah, yeah. I remember I talked about that. Their fruit is amazing. It's like some of the best fruit you'll ever have. Um, and we did like a real soft fruiting for this. It was about a half pound per gallon. Mm. Um, just to kind of, you know, like we wanted the beer to play with the with the fruit still. So you get some of that kind of like fruity um sweet tarty flavor from it but it's it's pretty light yeah what do you think of this beer scott yeah the sweet tarty thing is what really hits home description wise Mm -hmm. and we were uh, in the break there we were talking about uh how a bunch of many of your beers i don't know about all but many of your beers have that 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 characteristic of this of the sour candy it's uh chalky is not the right word because that sounds a little i I use that okay sure i I mean that in only the best way that it has a sort of chalky sour candy like delightful in the way that sour candy is delightful but without sweetness but like you 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 get um like a sensation of sweet because of the fruit even though there's nothing sweet about this beer it's really an uh, like um a wonderful like sensory experience that's my favorite thing to do is like try and make a beer that's like as dry as possible but has this like sort of like perception sweetness this is like one of the driest beers we've ever made it's under zero play-doh but i think that the fruit but also the we use honey to bottle condition everything i think that the honey gives it kind of like that perception of sweetness too where like some of the flavor of the honey um, remains in the beer after it's fully dried out and you know kind of gives it some of that like fruity Fuller mouthfeel. Have you encountered other brewers doing that bottle conditioning with honey, uh, or either of you? I know people have done it. I don't know if anyone does it like as an exclusive thing. Right. Why That's did you not. pick that as your go- as the process? I was doing that as a home brewer. Um, the idea was that I wanted to use a sugar source that was like more special than just table sugar. I had thought that I was trying to make something like really unique and like slow and like use really high end ingredients for all the process in the beer, and it just made sense to me. And um, just kind of kept going with it. Practically speaking, you know, I think people who do use, um, you know, simple sugar, you know, it comes in a sack. Yeah. You boil it up. It's, you know, it's easy to introduce. Yeah. Uh, what are, are there any challenges associated with using honey? I don't think so. We've gotten our process down pretty good. So what we do is we measure it out, what we think we're going to need for the batch. Um, mix it with some like 185 degree water to make it like fully liquid. Um, cool it back down to like, you know, like le- under 100 degrees. And then we'll mix the honey in with our yeast starter before we add it to the, to the mm-hmm. beer. Sort of like make sure everything's fully mixed together. And we mix a lot with, um, CO2 in the tank, like as we're bottling, just to make sure everything stays in solution. Although I don't think that's really a problem that much. I think that mm-hmm. once you mix it, it's like pretty, 
um, stable and, and equalized. But um, what we do so that to make sure, like we don't test the sugar of the honey before we add it. So what we do is always take like gravity readings before we add the honey and gravity readings after and just always make sure that we're getting the same difference, the same like change in gravity um, before we bottle. And sometimes we have to, we sort of undercut it usually so we, we don't have like majorly overcut beers and we're, I'd say 50% of the time adding a little bit more honey to hit our actual target. Okay, interesting. I sort of find that um, 130% of what you'd use as like table sugar is like the right amount. Okay. And what kind of honey are we talking about? We use orange blossom honey from a farm called Bennett's Family Farm, which is like maybe 40 minutes north of us in L.A. I just, we went there and we tasted all their honeys and that was the one I liked the best. They're different uh, flavored honeys, right? Are yeah, there? absolutely. Yeah. They have like dozens of different honeys. Yeah, yeah you know? sure. Have you, have you experimented with other ones? We've done a few things. We've bottled condition. We've done some berry beers where we use like blueberry flower, or, like blackberry flower honey for them. Um, and we've made a honey beer called Malona, which used like an extreme amount of, we've done two versions. One was sage flower honey and one was blueberry blossom flower honey. And your experience using these different honeys, as, you know, as far as I understand it, you know, kind of like the, the bees are landing on these plants. So like the blackberry flower, but yeah, it's not necessarily that the honey will taste like, no, definitely not. Like right? sometimes you get like the hint of it or they, they're definitely different from like variety to variety, but it's not necessarily the flavor that, the flower was right. Gotcha. And you know, your comment about using, I think it was, was it 120% or 130, 130. 130%. Is that, I, and this shows my ignorance on the honey front, but you know, I think maybe different sugars might have different, uh, yeah. Are, are there different, like, I guess like sugar, like contents of the different honeys? I or? guess so. I don't really, oh, of the different honeys. Um, I don't really know, like, because we almost exclusively use that one variety, it's, like, pretty similar from okay. batch to batch, and it's a pretty big farm, so I think that they're blending a lot of honeys, too, um, to, like, or to reach, like, a you there's, know, stable there's flavor. Yeah, there's gotcha. But um, I'm not really sure. I think that mostly it's just, like, pound for pound, like, there's a different amount of, you know, sugar mm-hmm. in the different in honey versus table sugar. Gotcha. It's not as pure. Well, we we chatted briefly about this off air, but let's talk about the color of this beer because, yeah. and I'll uh, send our listeners since this is a podcast. Scott, I don't know if you knew <laughs> knew that. Oh, wait, uh, what? Well, we can hold this up to the uh, to the camera to see. Although I'm not sure something this which camera's subtle, light? Uh, will yeah. translate. Yeah, especially as you get like light in it like that, it, you can really see how clear it is now. Yeah, it's oh, just, yeah, it's just a beautiful, a very intriguing color. There's a great shot on. Um, the Celador Instagram, so I'll send you guys that way to yeah. look up this beer. It's almost champagne-y. Yeah. It's like yeah. a little more it's saturated, like but it's like pastel champagne. You know, it's a really light beer. It's like 1030 specific gravity starting wow. um, and finishing on, at like zero Plato, so it's like 3.8%. Yeah. Um, and we use for this beer um, Pilsner from Admiral Malton Co. And we used to use this... Um, it's a local Bay Area. Yeah, local Malton California Malton Company Bay Area. Um, there's a farm uh, just north of LA called Tehachapi Grain Project, and for, for the first couple batches of Famille, we use their raw French black oats as like the oat source of this. But they're like real small and like a startup, and this year they didn't, they weren't able to get any of their oats like from the harvest. So mm-hmm. this batch, I believe, has also the um, oats from the same company. That's yeah, the mm-hmm. and I don't remember what the percentages, but I think it's like thirty or forty percent oats. Yeah, quite a bit amount quite a bit of oats and um you know sort of fermented like all our beers like mixed culture primary super dry like i mentioned and i think maybe in this particular beer the white nectarines are like giving it an even clearer like lighter Mm -hmm. color than normal but honestly i'm not really sure what what makes it so light other than that or what makes it distinct from like any other beer that's 3.8 percent yeah but it does have a distinct color yeah that's pretty cool you know you mentioned that this is kind of a, a lower gravity beer I think low gravity brewing can be especially challenging. My theory is that like the the fermentation is a little problematic. Like I think mm-hmm. you know there's people think about upper limits of like brewer's yeast, you know, okay, yeah. 10% alcohol, 15% alcohol, whatever it's going to be. I kind of like think about the lower limit like how yeah. is it going to go through its normal like reproduction cycle and be uh, content? I think sometimes at the lower levels you just get certain certain off flavors 
Do you have any recommendations for you know successfully executing a low gravity beer like this to the listeners? Um, I think that I'm not really sure about like the actual fermentation side and like what what's ideal, but I think that flavor wise, you want to like build as much body in as possible. You know, so like that's why we use a lot of oats in this beer. Um, I think that also having it be a mixed culture that's like not going to kick up as quickly and be kind of a slower fermentation kind of helps it like act more like a normal beer. We kind of underpitch all our beers a little bit, and I think that also helps it from like getting too dry too fast and being like kind of thin and like flabby. And why do you underpitch? We I used to worry about our flavors or like our our beers like early in our in our first couple months brewing. I'd like taste them all the time and like take gravity readings and like all the sour beers we we're making were like really slow to like attenuate. They like a lot of them would hit like um, ten twenty specific gravity and then like stall for a couple of weeks, and it just like scared the crap out of me. But then I realized that they always eventually finished. Like, they might, really, no matter like how much yeast we pitched. And I was talking to some of the guys that work for Beechwood Blendery in Orange County, mm-hmm. and they were telling me about their experiments in like pitch rates and how they'd like pitch like almost no yeast, and like they felt like that they got the best flavor out of that. So we just kind of like tried it based off their experience, and I, I've liked it that way too. Also, like on a small scale, and since we don't have a brew house, it's more difficult to like always have a good like prop up pitch of yeast sure since we really keep our cultures in carboys it's just like makes it easier for us on all, on all sides yeah lower target to hit for sure are we coming up on break time yeah, yeah but we have so many beers to get through let's do this one That's and then take a break this this next one and then take a break run through it and then take a break or do you want to tease it oh we can tease it yeah sure so we, we'll pour this yeah. one out um this looks like uh an interesting carrot color beer this is a carrot beer, yeah. <laughs> mm. So, uh, yeah, let's... Whoa, that color's crazy. This is great. Uh, you'll hear Whoa. all about it after the break. This is the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. <laughs> Marty likes it. <laughs> a taste of honey Tasting much Than wine I like that. Let's, let's let this run a little bit. We're probably not allowed to do that. Yeah. Seven second limit. All right, stop. <laughs> it's like the three second rule on the That's drop right. some food on the floor. Uh, you know, the Spotify station I've been listening to lately is like all that style of music. I don't know what you call that. Sorry, I, that I looked at you, Marty. But. All these. <laughs> <laughs> My dad is in the studio. <laughs> yeah, just like. Uh, you know, like a like a malt shop jukebox. You know, <laughs> a malt. Can I get a malted? Yeah, <laughs> a malted what? Just puts me in a good mood. You know. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Are we on the air? Yeah. Okay. So we're back. <laughs> we're back on the side of Um Yeah. <laughs> tasty. Okay, sorry. Speaking of tasty, <laughs> uh, we teased out this beer before the break, oh, and yes. uh, there was quite a buzz about this uh, off air mm-hmm. the break. This is a an orange. Colored, marvelous, wonderful, interesting beer called Carrot King. The Carrot King. King. Yeah. Uh, How do you make this? So uh, it started out as a collaboration with Hop Culture. It's like a magazine in New York. And the label for it is their artist, Sam Sam Taylor. Um, It is our sort of like Lambic-inspired, non-spontaneous, long boil, raw wheats, aged hops, like one-year-aged beer which we um, bottle condition with carrot juice. So we there's like a local farm. It's actually kind of connected to the same farm that does the wheat we were talking about earlier called um, Wiser Family Farms. And this is their carrots called Nantes carrots. They're uh, orange carrots. And we get them in. We juice them like in-house with like a little like home juicer. And then we have to bottle it the same day because what we do is add... Instead of using honey like we normally do or like any other kind of sugar, we add the carrot juice directly to the beer, and then that's what referments in the bottle to create the carbonation. When you drink this beer, because the carrot juice like settles out so hard in the bottom, you have to like kind of shake it up real good before mm. you pour it. Yeah, when I when I brought this from the cold box and I handed it to Kevin, the first thing he did was sort of 
I don't know, say sacrilege. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, because I bumped his <laughs> finger, his busted dad's finger. Uh, he he turned it upside down, which you know many people who pour, especially these bottle conditioned beers, are careful not to do. You know, you see people sure. sort of holding it at an angle very carefully. Kevin went straight upside down and gave it the full like whirlpool yeah. twist. Yeah, we uh like one of the things I was worried about when we were sort of like doing research and like thinking about making this beer was how much yeast would be made like in the bottle and like if it would clump up with the carrot juice and be like kind of like clumpy and nasty looking. So one thing we do is like not add any bottle conditioning yeast to this when we do it so that we get like the lowest yeast count possible in the bottles. Hmm. Um, and I was surprised like the first couple of times we did some tests that it really like fully integrates into the beer again, the carrot juice. And it's like really not chunky at all. It's, it's it just looks like orange beer. I, sorry. I was, uh, I have this idea. I was daydreaming a little bit there. Uh, so the, cause the, I was thinking, you know, uh, having sediment at the bottom of a bottle can present some kind of like consumer facing problems. You know, Definitely. not everyone is going to experience this beer exactly how you just let us experience it. Yeah, exactly. It. And I imagine that there's a bunch of people who have opened it without shaking it mm-hmm. and had no idea what was going on. So but, um, we haven't really gotten any complaints about it. So here's my idea. Yeah. I'm just giving this away for free. Cool. <laughs> Next time, put on the label upside down. Oh, I like that. That's cool. People Whoa. turn around and look at it. It does say, like, mix the bottle on the label, but I like that. That's good thinking. Mm. I've actually been thinking about doing an upside down label just for fun. Yeah. Um, but it would work really well for this. Yeah. You like that? Yeah, I love it. Pretty good. Man. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, trick people in. All right, let's stop. Yeah, this. Let's right. stop the show. <laughs> I'm gonna get stands of this. I'm out. You know, you could do the, on the upside. Remember those pens where it would like it would like be the chick with the bikini, and you turn the pen upside down, and the bikini would drain away. I you would never that? have such a pen, <laughs> please. That would be the, you know something like that, like a uh, you know tasty, you know tasty yeah. on the label, like the two yeah. NA label, yeah, exactly, uh, and then just have the things drain away. You know, incentivize people to turn the thing upside down. Yeah, yeah. I like it. How much? Carrot juice, do you have to? Because I mean, carrots are sweet, but they're not like sugar. The sugar source, or like the the carrots by themselves, are about 1040 specific gravity. Interesting. That seems to be pretty consistent. um, So you could brew a beer with all carrots. You could do a carrot wine, yeah, Yeah. for sure. Um, (laughs) Is that a product that exists? Carrot wine? I mean, mean, I'm sure it does. Surprised I haven't seen it around Berkeley. (laughs) In in, in local (laughs) prisons, maybe they exist. If I remember correctly, the carrot juice is about 25% of the volume. That wow. So for, I think it's a lot. I can't remember if it was one or two barrels, but it's like 400 pounds of carrots for, I think two barrels. Cool. You know, what's so cool Oak about barrels. this, this beer is the, and I'm, I think it's the aged hops that's doing this, which is it's because there's like the carrot cake palette, uh, um, reminder, the spiciness from the aged hops comes across as carrot cake spice, like a yeah. cinnamon nutmeg thing, even yeah, though that beer yeah. doesn't contain this. There's a lot of like weird like baking spice and like herbal notes in this, and it really like sort of changes and evolves like as you drink it, but also like from bottle to bottle. Um, I usually get a lot of like spearmint flavor out of it. Um, mm. Some people have actually tried it and called it spicy, like like a hot spice. Mm-hmm. Like hot spice, spice. Yeah, that's what I'm. Oh, oh, you mean heat? Like hot. heat? Yeah. Hmm. There's a lot going on in this beer, yeah. but it's like for all those different descriptors that you know, I'm trying to put my myself in the listener shoes it's not that sounds like a hot mess kind of but it's a delicious yeah, it beer yeah it's, um, and it, the acidity is really clean and it's like despite all of these these uh you know factors it, layers, it's, ba- yeah. it's yeah layers it's balanced nothing yeah. kind of punches you in the face right exactly yeah for really sure. wonderfully that's, done that's yeah. awesome should we should we conclude this show with this one or do you want to do a different one let's first do a different one I okay think. which one you want um let's grab Florida Masamoto. You got it. Should uh, you want me to read one of these listener questions and then go get that beer? What do you think, Jake? Yeah, let's let's hear this question. This is from Zach from Cincinnati. Greetings. Have you ever encountered a mixed culture so dominated by lactopedio that the IBUs needed to be raised to a level where the beer started tasting overly bitter? Are there ways to keep a mixed culture balanced other than hops? Uh, like maybe add more pure sack bread cultures? Yeah, I think for the rare the rare barrel and i'd love to hear your thoughts on this kevin um we we had this exact problem and i think a lot of sour beer brewers do you start off the beer's not sour enough year two or three beer gets more sour than you want beer hopefully or sorry year uh four five six you correct it with you know a combination of a few things increasing the hopping rate being one having a Saccharomyces or Botanomyces 
primary fermentation that ferments to a lower gravity um, without PDO and lacto. So there's less for less sugar for it to acidify. And then third for us, and if you're barrel aging, uh, we changed our barrel cleaning procedures to really um, just kill absolutely everything in there where sometimes we wanted to encourage the things that were living still in the oak to influence future beers that made the beer a little bit more sour. So those would be my three recommendations. I'm not sure if this is a home brewer or professional brewer. So the oak barrel may or may not uh, be an issue, but have you guys ran into, Oh, but you know, I I didn't uh, actually address the hot bitterness part of that. So I I don't know. I, I maybe like a lot of craft beer drinkers. I have a pretty high tolerance for bitterness. I feel like I think the, the amount of bitterness we're talking about in these beers, 25 to 35 IBU, something like that is not a bitter beer to me. Um, and especially in a beer that's going to age, I feel like IBU, or at least I don't know if the calculated um, or measured IBU goes down, but the perception to me at least definitely goes down over time. So haven't really run into that issue. And if I did, I would just say if I had a beer that was too bitter, I would say let's age it longer. And I think those beers actually withstand the adverse effects of long aging better than a beer that is less hot. But Kevin, maybe you could comment on what's yeah. I totally agree about like all those things. Um, we like I really like our beers best like in the like thirty-ish IBU range. I think that kind of hones in the acidity a lot, but also still gets you a little bit of acidity from the microbes. At least if you're using like not stuff that's like lab fresh, or else it'll just like die right away. Um, but we also like our mixed cultures that we keep in carboys. We'll use that hoppy wort as like the top off wort for those. And I think that helps, like, sort of always keep the um, bitterness high and, like, the bacteria in check. Sure. And I also agree that, like, at 30-ish IBUs or even 40, like, once the beer is six months old, the perception isn't 30 or 40 IBUs. Mm -hmm. But I think that that bitterness really adds to the perception of mouthfeel, like, in the overall beer. I think if you have a beer of zero IBUs, like, it's going to feel flabby. And a beer, a sour beer, started at 30 six months in isn't going to taste bitter really, but it's going to taste fuller. And I think that like, even if you went like 70 or 80 IBUs, like you can make a good sour beer and it wouldn't be too bitter. Yeah. yeah I mean, we, one of my favorite new projects we've been working on is sending essentially like dry hopped hazy IPA to barrel with mixed culture for long-term aging. It turns into like just beautiful beer. Now that's not like the most bitter style, yeah. but um, I mean, there's a lot of hop. Yeah, there's some beers that um, Highland Park Brewery has made, which were started out as hazy IPAs, but they didn't really like the fermentation character of. They put a bit in barrels with um, mixed cultures, and they're like beautiful sour beers after a couple months. Just amazing aromatics and... Yeah, really fruity. Yeah, I think I've spoke about this on the show before, but, you know, we have at times, you know, done sour beers. We bring them to Tang right before packaging. We'll do a new dry hop edition and then package it. I actually prefer the beers that kind of go through a normal Saccharomyces for clean fermentation, get dry hopped like they're about to come out, you know, next week. But instead of being released, they go to oak barrels for aging, bring them back and package them. No second dry hop, tons of hop, aromatic flavor, but nuanced enough to be different than an IPA. It's these just kind of crazy aromas that you get from mixed culture fermentation. I also think that's, um, with mixed culture primary fermentations, it's important to have like a healthy yeast, like as you're doing your primary fermentation. Whenever we've done stuff that was like, you know, barrel dregs that was like older, at least a couple months old yeast in a barrel, it takes like multiple days to like kick off the primary fermentation. And I never ever like how the beer turns out and they get way more acidic. So I'd say like we always try and have our mixed culture carboys topped with beer like a week or two before we're going to pitch them into barrels. Gotcha. Cool. Um, so hopefully that answers, what was his name? That was Zach from Cincinnati. Thank you for the email, Zach. We Thanks, appreciate Zach. it a lot. Yeah. And all you listeners, all you lazy listeners, <laughs> yeah, bums. just subscribe. Thank you for subscribing and don't <laughs> do anything else. Write us an email. There you go. Ask us a question. We love, and you'll hear your name on the air. Maybe we'll make yes. fun of you. So we're going to do our show break in a little bit, but mm-hmm. before we do that, we're going to get to, one last beer, which is Fleur de... 
I don't recognize this name. Masamoto? <laughs> what? Yeah. I've never yeah. heard of that. What is that? <laughs> exactly. So tell us about this one. Yeah, this is our um, collaboration with Homage Brewing. This is actually the third batch of it we've done. And what we do is come together, like blend some of our barrels together, and then we split those. We, we combine the beers together, split them, and then we fruit the beer separately at our facilities with um, our own mixed cultures, and they, we bottle them separately and release them as a soda of a co-branded collaboration. And it's kind of fun what we did like with the, with the label design is we sent our two artists the exact same like description of what we wanted and they have like completely different vibes. But yeah, Masamoto is a farm in central California in just south of Fresno, I think. And they're like really special to me. We have a really close relationship with the farmer David Masamoto and we make probably a dozen different beers every year with their fruits and uh, go up. Once a year, we actually go up and pick some of the fruit there with them, too. And that fruit that we pick always goes into this beer. What, always, what else do they grow? They only grow peaches. And oh, is that, is that it? Yeah. Okay. And actually, just for the first time this year, they have some apricots. So we made the first apricot beer with them this year, too. And this the variety in this beer is the Grand Nectarines, which is like my favorite variety from them. Yeah, we've got some, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. I love it. This it's just uh, it's a strikingly familiar. Yeah, you know, flavor, you recognize sure. the flavor immediately if you taste one of these beers. Definitely, yeah. And there's you know, there's a lot of breweries, and especially mostly in California, using their fruit. I think that there is probably at least a dozen breweries like that kind of change every year. But the guy, there's a guy named Chris Kroga who sort of is like the middleman with them, who who uh, facilitates getting the fruits all the breweries, and so it's you know whatever breweries he picks to use it. Yeah. If your name is Chris, you're in the business of selling fruit. I've learned in this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's an interesting thing. I mean, I think you guys do a really good job of, um, giving shout outs to all the, the farms and the agricultural side of things. Um, yeah, I think that you work with, but at the same time, you know, in, in the brewing industry, you know, we've talked to other guests on the show that are like, you know, I'm not going to tell you where I got these, you know, this fruit. <laughs> super, like to, super to your to your point about, uh, let's see, what were we talking about? It was one of the, I think it was uh, the oats from yeah, um, the first beer that you know they didn't have, uh, you know, like a good harvest or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, but it's it's also a possibility that you know if Someone you're a brewer, yeah, and you kind of start promoting these farms that other brewers will kind of buy more and then you won't yeah. get any so what's it well how do you i guess from a philosophical standpoint approach that issue i don't know i think like with all things i like try not to take it too seriously and like value like companionship and like working together with people above you know being um an asshole <laughs> but <laughs> i haven't learned that lesson yet. <laughs> yeah go back but and listen like, to the episodes where but, someone doesn't share it and you'll know Kevin yeah, right. thinks that guy is an asshole. Oh, no. That's, no, that's, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> um, but like, to be honest, like uh, we just have a really close relationship with these farms and, and with Chris, and we know um, that they're always going to you know, hook us up with whatever we want. For sure. This beer, uh, you know, obviously it's, it's terrific. Uh, the nectarines come through, and they're, they're beautiful. It does have the uh, the sort of Celador house flavor, if you want to call it that, yeah. going on. Because, uh, you know, the, the sweetheart thing we talked about earlier presumably because of the the honey uh, yeah i think that there's some of that flavor in some of our like base beers too but i think that a lot of it comes from the honey and you know i guess who really knows well so i i wonder um have you like do you do you still have some of your first uh batches like it you know in, in fridges and are, are you still opening yeah. stuff that's years old at this point yeah every once in a while are you how does the you know how's it holding up i guess and is is the honey refermentation playing a factor in flavors years down the road I don't know. I haven't really noticed it or tried stuff enough recently. Yeah, I don't have good data on that. You were, you're only, what, we're coming up on, what, four yeah. years? This is yeah. not very long. Yeah, fair enough. There's uh, something going on. But I there. do I do game. distinctly remember, like, those flavors always being present, like, from the beginning. Mm. So I don't, I don't really know how they're holding up in the bottle. I think if you're talking specifically about that, like, sweet. chalky, sour, mm-hmm. sweet tart kind of thing. Yeah. I first noticed it when we, ha- when we got out the Rare Barrel... A particular mixed culture that I'll just say was sort of born from Belgian goose that we propped up. Um, that's the first time it got introduced into mm. the brewery, and it is just strictly associated with 
that McCulture now. Okay. Um, that makes sense to me. Which is, it makes sense, but I also can't explain it at all. Exactly. Yeah. I yeah. don't know what the answer is. <laughs> you like make these inferences, but who really knows? Magic bugs, man. Yeah. Yeah. How does it make like a chalky yeah, flavor? Right. I don't know. But it, but it does. Are, are you, and you've just, you've only used it in a few different beers, right? No, it's everywhere now. Oh, it is. Yeah. Okay. For sure. So it's pretty prevalent throughout our beers. There you go. How are we doing on time? Uh, we're about ready for a show break if we're done uh, with this I, beer. I, I wanted to ask just one more short question. I noticed on the side of this bottle that there's some there's some writing, like uh, oh, like handwritten blend number oh, and yeah. bottled. I saw that and it's uh, from July. Boy, I mean, looks nice on one bottle, but how many <laughs> of these? That seems like a pain in the ass. It's yeah, it's not ideal, and it's something that we sort of like played on and off with. You know, there's like a practical like business side to all this, and like. Printing labels like in really small amounts like doesn't really always make sense. Yeah, and like this beer, for like a couple different reasons, we're limited in how much we can make of it every year, and so having to print just a couple hundred labels, if we know we're going to do it again next year, um, we'll just like print a, a bigger batch without the what's what's written on the bottle is the blend number and the bottling date. Yeah, and like in theory, you could say, oh, we'll just like you know look forward and and print the next bottling date, but like. It never ever works out that way. Sure. The bottling date would be multiple months off. It's not something I do very often anymore. But um, yeah, these bottles are all like handwritten by Sarah, by his like you know wife. <laughs> <laughs> How many bottles were in this? Like for this particular beer? about five hundred. Okay, okay, it's not, not, not so bad. Yeah. But that's you know got to put on the audio book for that. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> you got to have content absorption while you while you do the tedium. I forgot. Forgive me if I missed it. Did you? How many barrels uh, did you guys do last year for context? Uh, like our brewery ish, yeah. Uh, four hundred. Okay, there you go. Yes. That's a lot coming from a space that small. Yeah, especially from from this style of beer. Yeah, yeah. We like you know for like the space we have and the amount of barrels, we we pump it out pretty quick. And you can find uh, your beer uh, on tap around LA. Yeah, definitely. Um, on tap at a lot of bars in LA, and you know, sort of intermittently throughout all of California, and bottles. All over the place also. Yes, we do carry it here. Uh, and on our website. Earmuffs, Jay, at the Hop Grenade. You will find Celador bottles. and headphones. The, <laughs> and the, the occasional, <laughs> man, I don't know if we've had it on tap yet. I don't know either, yeah. but yeah, it, like, really? I'm sure that at some point it'll be on tap. Yeah. yeah. I, I feel like bar I, called I the Hop like, Grenade. I feel like yeah. <laughs> we, we might have. If, um, I might have missed it because it probably went really quickly. But yeah, I'm pr- pretty consistently in recent months I'm seeing your bottles, which is great. Yeah. Yeah, at my specific direction. I was like, whenever they're available, please grab some. <laughs> How many years have we been to this, Scott? Six and change. Okay. Usually, I leave that question for the end of the second show. I Ooh. know, but uh, oh, you, yeah, you're right. So okay, you're right. Just, you're right. Just, Sorry, I'll cut it out in post, and you can ask again. No, the no. Show. <laughs> okay. And thankfully, Marty had already asked it, so I knew all the answers. Oh, so it was great. Go. Off air. The off air Marty comments. Speaking of the second show, which exists, Scott, we're gonna keep Kevin a little longer. He's been gracious enough to share his time and his beer, uh, so we thank him for that. Thanks to Scott and Bevo for being here. You're welcome on her behalf. Yeah. Thanks to all the listeners, all the sponsors of the show. We really appreciate all of you. Until next time, stay sour. It's a lot harder than it sounds.